Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with Zach Pena for the Spending Time show, the uh, Blog to Watch podcast. Today we're going to be speaking about quartz, the topic that watch lovers love to hate. Or do they? Uh, Zach, just as a quick uh, sort of beginning to this, when I say quartz watch as a watch collector, what's your immediate reaction? I smile inside. My first watch was a quartz, and I think that... The vast majority of, of uh, collectors who spend time or they hear quartz or they, they turn away at it, I think secretly they love it, but people are afraid to say it's cool because maybe they're not looking at the right options. There are too many options out there for them to choose from. I think you say they love to hate, and I would agree with that, but I think there's a lot more secret appreciation for what's happening with quartz. But... Ultimately, no one wants to own something that other people will perceive is cheap or inexpensive, and that's the problem. Okay, there's a lot packed into your statement. A lot of so packed into there. <laughs> yeah, let's let's dissect that a little bit because I think that before we talk about quartz watches, we should spend a little bit of time talking about the context within which collectors and enthusiasts such as ourselves perceive quartz watches. And let's start with the late 1960s when quartz watches first came out. Now, quartz timekeeping was around for a little while, and quartz came out at the end of the 60s. Ten years before that, Bulova, you're looking here at the, uh, the, the Accutron 2, there was the first Accutron, which was not quartz. It was tuning fork, which was an electronic precursor to quartz. And when quartz first came on the market, Seiko was one of the first companies to come out with, it, with a quartz watch. It cost the same amount as a car. So quartz was a luxury mechanism, to say the least. But by the end of the 1970s, quartz was able to be produced very inexpensively in Asia. You could print the integrated circuit, and you could literally print the movement as opposed to have to manufacture the movement as you had with mechanical watches. And quartz watches quickly dominated the wristwatch industry in the late 1970s and into the 1980s because they were inexpensive to make, and they performed better than mechanical watches. Now, mechanical watches have a mechanism that you can see. Your own eyes can appreciate how it works, and there's an emotional relationship to it because it's, it's, it's at least perceived to be put more together by hand. Enter the 1990s, and the mechanical watch makes a comeback, not because of design, not because of functionality, but simply because it's, it, it's a status watch. The, the notion is that if you can wear a mechanical watch, or you can afford one as well, you can afford not to be on time, and... It turned into, more so than ever, a luxury status symbol. Today, quartz has an interesting relationship with enthusiasts because quartz is not something which many people uh, associate with an enthusiast watch. And so people think quartz, they think cheap or inexpensive or not an enthusiast product. Yet quartz today remains much more reliable and much more accurate and performs better overall than, than most mechanical movements. So quartz is... Very useful technology, but it's pedestrian technology. And today, because people don't need wristwatches, rather they want wristwatches, it's sort of a, a, an interesting sort of mental exercise to incorporate um, simple technology with a des desirable exclusive product. And that sort of leads us to where we are right here, two guys yeah, that would... like watches, but also have a soft spot for quartz. No, absolutely. And I would, I would, I would agree with all of that. I would also say that I think there's, there's a fair amount of um, latent resentment towards what quartz represents because it almost killed off the mechanical industry. I mean, by and large, it did. 
Um, but I also think that, you know, just, just like any good comeback story, there's, uh, you have to have an antagonist and the antagonist becomes the protagonist. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a story arc here. And I think both these types of movement, uh, species, so to speak, have their own story narrative. And I think it's, 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 it's no less interesting on the court side as it is on the mechanical side. They both have a reason to be here. They both do very different things. Um, they both appeal to very different types of people. But again, they have to echo your sentiment. I mean, we're, we're both here because we appreciate something that happens on both sides of the fence. And I, I would argue that you can't fully appreciate what a mechanical watch does without appreciating what a quartz watch does and what it represents and why it's here. And I think that a quartz watch belongs in every, you know, every enthusiast. I, I agree. I have There's plenty of quartz. So do you. So so here's, here's a really big statement that I'm going to use to defend people who are skeptical about quartz. And that is the fact that quartz movements tend to be in less expensive watches, which means that the entire watch, the case, the dial, the hands, the strap, on many quartz watches are going to be of a lower quality than the the cases and dials and things like that on mechanical watches simply because as a whole the products are less expensive so if you're sort of using quartz as a heuristic to help you identify what a good versus not as good watch is then yes it it Mm -hmm. could be true that if you're just strictly looking at movements something with a mechanical movement is going to tend to have a better quality everything together because mm-hmm. it's a more expensive product. This mm-hmm. is not universally true, as you and I know, but I can appreciate how a lot of people um, <clears throat> associate quartz with less expensive watches because oftentimes For it's sure. true. Oftentimes sure. it's true. And, and, and I would argue, too, that it's not just it's not just case finishing, though, too. I mean, we're looking at uh, you know the Belova, um, the, the Moon Chronograph, for example. I mean, this is a really great example of It's a relatively affordable watch. I mean, the case is not finished in any spectacular way. It's not... I mean, it doesn't doesn't have any of the hallmarks of of a high end. Uh, but it's a few hundred bucks. It's a few hundred bucks. It's a few thousand. Just, but what I'm saying is is this sort of fits into that uh, that category of you know it doesn't necessarily look expensive. However, the movement itself is quite unique and it has has some very cool features with it. You've obviously reviewed this and you sort of know um, some of the characteristics of this in particular. Um, I've reviewed and worked with a few other interesting quartz movements, and we'll talk about those in a little bit. But like the movement, just because it's quartz doesn't necessarily mean it's a it's a it has one ability. I mean, the, one of my favorite things about quartz is there's a lot of really really cool behavioral characteristics that you can get out of quartz. Whether it's um, whether it's the way the the, the hands behave, um, how the uh, how time is recorded. I mean, you can stack the the hands in different, and you know, like there's there's center minute counters, there's minute repeaters. There's a lot of really really cool um, mechanical complications that are very quietly folded into a quartz movement, and they're in relative they're relatively unadorned, um, kind of lo-fi in 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 a way that I think is really appealing, at least to me. No, that that that's interesting. I'm I'm a little bit more. Um sort of scientifically minded about what quartz is and what things that you're focused on, sort of the emotional way that they behave and stuff like that. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Those are mechanical watches on the screen. <laughs> um, you know, this, we wanted <laughs> to have as a, we wanted as to a, have a conversation about about collectors with you know experience with quartz. And and this conversation go in many ways and I'm realizing that it that it needs to. We have to have more discussions about it. I guess the 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 sort of the bulk of what I want to talk about is quartz re-entering the interest zone for collectors and enthusiasts. So that, by definition, means not all quartz watches. There's plenty of quartz watches out there. 
that it isn't there's anything wrong with it, but they, they, they're not interesting to me. I look for originality. So when I look at a watch, it doesn't matter how much it costs or what's inside of it, I look for a degree of originality or doing something very, very well. And it's original because it performs some feature extremely, extremely well. And the majority of quartz watches out there, like most watches, quartz or otherwise, just aren't that original or interesting. So I'm already mm. bored by them. I'm already mm -hmm. bored by them. But high-end quartz is this area of, I'm just going to say it simply, you spend more, but you're spending more on a, a, a mechanism which is interesting. And for a long time, since the 1990s, the, the Grand Seiko 9F movement, which is a quartz movement, was the, the highest quartz movement in the land. It might still be. It might still be. And this represents to me this movement like an, a, a pinnacle. And it is quartz, and you can talk crap about it. But interestingly enough, the only Grand Seiko watches I own are spring driver quartz. I actually don't own any of the mechanical ones because I don't think that's what Grand Seiko is like, best uh, for. I completely agree. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day where I feel like if you get – if you if you could only own one watch from any manufacturer, like what is what is the one watch that best summarizes what that manufacturer epitomizes? Like what what best summarizes what Grand Seiko does? I think it's the Spring Drive GMT. I mean, there's literally that movement does not exist in any way, shape, or form from any other manufacturer. That configuration. I mean, maybe even going one step further, the Spring Drive Chronograph GMT, which David reviewed um, relatively recently. But I mean, I, I think that is the, the pinnacle of what Grand Seiko does from like an obsessive standpoint and from a technical standpoint and from a utility standpoint, there's a ton wrapped in there. High end quartz doesn't need to cost thousands of dollars. I mean, you have everything from Bulova's Precisionist, Certina has some high accuracy quartz, Longines, Alpina, uh, uh, Breitling probably will continue them, Zinn, even Omega. There, There is this sprinkling of high-end quartz everywhere. And today, with the sort of oncoming of high-end smartwatches, remember that smartwatches are connected watches, but inside of them they still have quartz mechanisms. You know, that's the question that I want to ask you. Do we do we fold smartwatches into high-end quartz or do we keep them their own separate category? I, I kind of feel like they need to stay separate. These are two separate things, and and one thing we should make a pretty quick uh, separation of is I feel like high end quartz and high accuracy quartz are not fully interchangeable. They, no, no. They, I feel like high accuracy quartz can be relatively affordable. I'm looking at the uh, Certina makes a. I feel like Certina has the best example of this. Um, the Presa Drive movements. So they have a flyback chronograph that we're looking at here. Um, they also have some three-hand models and a few other variations of this, of this DS2, the Spork model. Um, but I believe this is accurate, so high-accuracy quartz, HAQ, H-A-Q, uh, I believe is accurate to 10 to 15 seconds a year. I think is there's a, there's a specific delineation. I don't have it pulled up in front of me. Um, but this is under 1000 bucks. I mean, this is astonishing accuracy. Really, really cool uh, movement behavior. Uh, super functional. I mean, this is a, this is a super neat piece. Um, but it is relatively obscure. Say. Yeah, and, and obscure. Well, Certina is not distributed in the U.S., which is part of their problem in their they, website. But, but they have they have a few that they're sold in some store in New York. They're trying to make it. They're trying to yeah, make it. Yeah, exactly. But this this movement. Anyway, this is this is high accuracy. But then you go into high end, which is usually also extremely accurate. So it, it, yeah. it fits. But both, I would but. say that oftentimes the high accuracy ones are also high end. If you're talking the thousand dollars for a quartz watch, for me that's high end. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
Okay, so let's talk about thermocompensated quartz because for me, until recently, this was sort of the, the, the bastion of high-end quartz. If you wanted a high-end quartz watch, the majority that were available were thermocompensated produced by ETA. So all the Breitling watches that, that were quartz, the, the Breitling professional, um, and I guess there's different names for them, but with, you know, the aerospace is a perfect example, uh, watches mm. that you and I like. Um, the Sanyu X is another uh, with that thermocompensated at a movement? It, it probably is. It probably is. But do you, no, do you, it, it is. I'm should I explain? You. Should I explain <laughs> what thermocompensated quartz is? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So the, the, fr the fragility of any quartz uh, movement in terms of its ability to remain accurate over time is fluctuations in temperature. Slightly different temperatures have the oscillation, the micro-oscillations of the quartz crystal vary. So a thermocompensated quartz movement has the quartz crystal, and it, 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 before the movement is made or, or during the process, the, the, the movement is subject to different temperatures, and the rate result of those temperatures are, are calculated. So there's a small chip that basically has a thermometer there and compensates, knows to compensate because it knows that the, the operating frequency, which is very fast, changes a little bit with changes in temperature. Thus, it compensates for changes in temperature, and that's why it remains very, very accurate. So the difference in accuracy between a thermocompensated quartz, and there's, again, there's other ways of making quartz movements more accurate rather than just thermocompensation, but the thermocompensated quartz movements are several times more accurate, and a good measure is if a standard quartz movement is accurate to about 10, 15 seconds a month, then a thermocompensated quartz is accurate to about 10 to 15 seconds a year, which Correct. is significantly Mm -hmm. more accurate. And there's other means right now to get that same type of accuracy. We have, again, the Bulova's Precisionist, uh, the Pressa Drive, um, and, and, the, and, the, and the very high uh, frequency movements through long genes, which are cousin mm -hmm. movements, um, and, 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 and through uh, you know, Citizen and Seiko and things like that. Some of those are, are, are thermocompensated. Some of the other technologies are not. But it's important to know some of these, I don't know, I don't want to call them nerdy, but, but these, these, these systems that exist inside of quartz movements to make them more interesting. And for me, a thermocompensated quartz movement inside of a watch has just as much emotional value as a mechanical, um, you know, an automatic movement that's like a, like a tool watch movement. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I I think I they're just as interesting. The utility is is impressive, and you mentioned the Breitling Aerospace. Um, I think two oh, BHP, two, not BHF. <laughs> yeah, two two of my favorite high end or high accuracy quartz watches um, have got to be the the Breitling Aerospace and uh, the Longines VHP. Um, I have an Aerospace. It is unquestionably my most worn watch in my collection. I've had it for three years. Every single year, oddly enough, as I go back and just kind of look back on photos or, or things that I've worn, this is with this has gone with me everywhere. And the reason for it is, it's always running, um, even if it's not on my wrist uh, when I'm traveling. It's always in my carry-on, and it's great to have. It's great to have something that's just always running. It can be worn for anything. Um, it's astonishingly accurate. It has. It has a full, I, I believe it has a, a perpetual calendar. And it's to 2022 or something. It's, it's crazy. I've never, had to, I've never had to correct the date on it once. Um, and it's accurate. To, I mean, it, it gets 10 to 15 seconds a year accuracy. You can swim with it. I've dove with it. Um, I've ridden bikes with it. I did a, a 140, 130-mile ride in Arkansas summer heat, like gravel. And it was just like sweaty and dusty and just like ragged. It was like eight hours on the bike, just smashed it around. It's a bulletproof watch. 
Um, crazy accurate. The finishing is there. I mean, this to me epitomizes high-end courts. It's it you get the the rugged capability of what a court should be. I mean, it's a it's a rough and tumble watch, but you get a higher elevated level of finishing. Um, and from a functional level, I really love that Breitling has taken what is otherwise. I mean, this movement is available in other watches. Um, Victorian Ox has a version of it that uses. I mean, it's an ETA-based quartz movement. Um, That's that one. That one's not thermocompensated. It's not thermocompensated, no. correct? So it hasn't. It doesn't have that same level of regulation. However, um, Breitling has kind of taken their own spin on it. This has a minute repeater, so you push the crown in each the time back at you, which is super cool. That's cool. Um, it has a backlight, so you spin the crown a little bit, and the display lights up. And one of my favorite things about it is when you pop the crown out to the first position, depending on um, what your time display is um, uh, if you flick if you kind of flick the crown a little bit and in, in, uh, in rotating it in one direction if you get the flick just right it does take a little bit getting used to I know exactly it. what you're talking about <laughs> the minute hand does a full 60 minute rotation of the dial so essentially you land in a new time zone you just flick the crown and it you have an independently adjustable hour hand to jump it to new time zones it's really really unique and I've I've uh, that to me is what they've, they've taken this quartz movement and they've, they've hacked it essentially. They've built in all these extra functions to it that make it this amazing pilot's watch. Uh, a little worried about what, what George Kern is going to do with the professional line. This is, this to me, and again, like if I were to own one watch from any brand, this is the only Breitling I'll probably ever own because to me, this epitomizes what Breitling does the best. So I have a few interesting comments. So first of all, I think it's it's so charming that you're you're so into this movement and we're talking about <laughs> like it's new, even though this movement is essentially 20, 20, 20 years old now. Exactly. Um, and I think you're also, you're, you're talking about an interesting point. We're talking about Breitling selling quartz and mechanical. A real challenge at these brands, and people don't necessarily think about this, is if you include quartz and mechanical in your collection, how do you price them? Because mm -hmm. quartz tends to bring down the price, whereas mechanical tends to bring up the price. But you and I know that a lot of times that pricing difference is arbitrary. If there's a $200 difference in the price of the movement, let's, let's even say it's $400. Let's mm -hmm. say that the, the, the mechanical movement, just because it's mechanical and has more parts and blah, 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 is $400 more. Why does that watch that need to cost $4,000 more? And so yeah. the problem is that these brands have this this price consistency or this sense of luxury status they want to maintain, and they're put in this position of, do we make our quartz watches look way too expensive, or do we make our mechanical watches appear too expensive? They have to like choose one or the other. Mm -hmm. And when Breitling came out with the Colt Sky Racer a couple years ago, um, I, I don't think they're even making more. This one had a, a I think it was a two thousand dollar price mm -hmm. point, yeah. $2, and it was, it, it was it was it was you know a carbon case. It was about as basic as you could get for for a Breitling. And I love the design, but I think everyone looked at this thing and been like, you know what? Do they really need to charge two thousand? Like they could be selling this watch for about seven hundred bucks, selling my hotcakes, making money. Yet they can't charge too low because they have this mechanical watch business that they're trying to preserve. So when band, brands try to make both, what they end up doing, and I think Omega is a great example, is they sort of like silo their quartz stuff off in a corner somewhere, and they're like, no, 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 don't, don't talk about that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't focus on that. I remember several years ago having a conversation with some of the executives of Omega who were more or less thinking about completely removing quartz altogether. They were so worried about the sort of dilution effect and then they had so many people with you know the X33 complaining mm -hmm. you need to bring this back and so they still have some and I think they still have some aquateras and quartz and stuff like that but they, they, they basically wanted to get rid of it because they were having challenges um, 
you know, understand the consistency. But then the market, you know, revolted. And, mm-hmm. and, and the actual people that like what you said, that sort of those high quality brands that have that prestige, those nice finishes, those good designs, but reject mechanical movements because they're just not as useful. This is a niche population of people, but I think it's going to increase in size. I yeah. think it's going to. Well, I think, and I think I honestly think you know this is this is kind of diving into the the, the psyche or the psychology of a typical watch buyer, a typical watch collector. But I think you know, and I hear this a lot in that. Um, you know, I, I also I also own a, a JLC Geophysic, which uh, is a true second movement. So it ticks like a quartz. Of course, it is mechanical. Um, and I've had people ask me specifically, like, does it bother you that it ticks? I was like, why would it bother me that it ticks? This watch is amazing. I'm like, well, because it looks like a quartz. I'm like, no, no, no. The point of that watch is that it's for me. It's not for you. And and that to me is what quartz is as well. I mean, it, we. A lot of quartz watches. There's this. There's this insecurity in that if you wear a quartz watch, you'll be seen <laughs> as, as poor. Your opinions, you your poor opinions, watch collector. You're so poor. Your opinions aren't. Uh, you know, your taste isn't as developed. Maybe you know, you're not. You're not. Uh, you're not rich enough. You're not. There's all these weird insecurities that come to play yeah, there. Yeah, it's because you're, you're not rich a, enough to not care what time it is, Zach. I'm sorry. A quartz watch is not for them. It's for you. And I think that's what's so great about the aerospace and about the X33 and about Presidrive and about 9F all these watches are these are for guys that give a shit I mean these are for people that know what they're wearing and they know why they're wearing it and they love it for that and that to me is the, the essence of watch collecting you, you should be buying things that are for you they're not for anybody yeah. else I, I, I and, remember yeah. and I love the brands I have immense respect for the brands that cater to enthusiasts and I think the Aquaterra Quartz is a good example because those those are for people who want like a, like they want Omega, but they don't want it to cost quite as much, or they don't want to have to wind it or deal with it. It's funny because like Omega doesn't really acknowledge those on the website anywhere. I don't even know if I could go to a boutique and buy one at this point, but they do still market the X thirty three. I mean, I think this is because it's such a specific like niche watch. They're not afraid. To Mar- say market it. is different than than have it on their website. I mean, yeah. let's be honest, Omega is not marketing this this watch. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. This is true. They built a proper page for it, though. They definitely don't. So let's those. let's go over to the G-Shock because I'm currently wearing one of the Casio G-Shock MTG, which stands for Metal G. This is the not the top. The G Steel, right? Yeah. So the G The G Steel is the lowest end one, and then it's MTG, and then it's MRG. So the one, so the one that I am reviewing is a $900 Metal G-Shock on a bracelet. Okay. And one of the things which is, is really impressive about it, and this sort of goes into sort of modern um, quartz, and I would call it high-end quartz, is the movement itself is, you know, the same complicated all-analog Casio where they've tried to incorporate all you know as many of their cool features as possible, but on an analog dial. And, you know, things like setting the time. So, so I think you just went past it there. Sorry. Uh, a little bit down? Oh, no, it's it's somewhere else. I think it's even lower down. I like to use a filter. Any... Is your watch cheap? It's so cheap. <laughs> so cheap. No, I just want you to look at the right one. So anyway, so the yeah. a lot of these watches now. Oh, because you know you're looking at just G Steel. It's not G Steel. Yeah, that's why. Oh, okay, okay. All right. That's the problem. Uh-huh. Anyways, as I was saying, the 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 process of setting the watch up is you download the app to your phone. You sync the watch in, in the app, which is really really easy. You just push one of the pushers on the on the watch for three and a half seconds. It automatically updates the time, the date, and your location. 
And the app is not about sending notifications to your watch about an email or a text message. That's the watch right there. Mm-hmm. Or, yep. or, or yep. a missed yep. call. But it's about making sure that you can operate the movement as well as keep it accurate. So mm-hmm. you can turn the alarm on and off. You can set the countdown timer. You can do all kinds of things from the app because it's a pain to do it on the watch. But then the watch becomes something you don't have to worry about because it, I mean, you travel; it automatically syncs with the app when you when you land on the plane. It's a new time zone; it pushes it to the watch immediately. And that so, to me is the most. That to me is the biggest value add of, right? of having it synchronized with your phone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I already. I have a specific time. I mean, I, I know when I'm looking at my phone for emails and texts. Like I do that separately, but I need my watch to tell the right time, and that's super important. The yeah, dial it, detail on that watch is amazing. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I, I think that Casio is onto something, but again, you know, and they have, I mean, look at this, there's, there's these fancy motors, you have tough solar, you have so much in this movement, the MRG is up, up the ante a little bit by having uh, the GPS functionality in there, so, you, so if you don't, if you're not within mobile phone territory, you can, you can update the right time, but this is yet another flavor of high-end quartz, but I don't think, and I've heard the conversation where anyone said high-end quartz G-Shock. It's going to take a while before this concept of high-end quartz sort of really solidifies itself within the collective community. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to take even longer before there's a very clear idea of what watches even fit in that category. Right. Like you can say things like Breitling and, and you know, Longines and everyone's like, okay. But things like Casios and Citizens and Seikos who have been making high-end quartz for a very long time, oftentimes are, are not even necessarily part of that conversation outside of some, you know, exotic ones like Grand Seiko Quartz or, right. or some of the, the citizen, the, the, the Chrono Master, for example. Most people don't remember the Chrono Master, but that was, that was their thermocompensated watch. Yep, yeah. I, I would argue that MRG, though, is sort of in the pantheon of G-Shocks. Um, you know, actually... Some MTGs, I, I think, um, there are some watches in the G Steel collection even that also have the GPS movements. It's not so much the movement that makes the MRGs unique, it's the level of finishing. And I would, I would argue that these rival watches well above the, the $5,000 mark, just in terms of the materials they're using, the, the finishing techniques, some of it is hand done. I mean, um, there's that hand, there's one of them that has a hand-hammered bezel that's designed to look like a freaking yeah, yeah. samurai armor or something. Really crazy stuff, super limited pieces. I, I would argue, too, like the, the aesthetic is not for everybody, but from like a, uh, from like a craftsman standpoint, there aren't, I would argue there are no quartz watches above this in terms of finishing. I mean, there's just so much insane stuff going on in these watches that... Um, it's kind of funny that like there's so much insanity here, but at the same time, like <laughs> the aesthetic for a lot of people, they look at it and like, wow, that's a toy watch. Never mind. Like, what? It costs seven thousand dollars. <laughs> like, are you shitting me? <laughs> I, I have but, a no. I, I agree. I have a little rule because I want to sort of wrap this conversation up because we could talk mm-hmm. about specific oh, high-end watches, high-end quartz watches, sure. forever. But I want to give some takeaway message to the audience, and I'm gonna tell a couple, say a couple of my rules for when I'm interested in the quartz movement. Why is it? The first rule I have is that I tend to not be interested in quartz movements that just try to mimic a mechanical one. Meaning if yeah. it just does the exact same thing as a mechanical movement, I'm like, but quartz is supposed to do more. So right. I am most gravitated towards movements that are quartz that do something 
accuracy is obviously part of it, but there's a complication. There's something it does. You know, talking about Bluetooth connectivity. No, no mechanical watch does that. At least, mm -hmm. at least not in any you know real sense. You're talking re resins, arguably with the ecrown, but that's still that's still a quartz component there. So, mm -hmm. I like it when they do things above and beyond what what mechanical watches do. Um, I also like to feel very much that it is a tool watch when the entire construction and design of the product feels like there's a utilitarian background as opposed to just a style background. I'm not interested in, in style quartz watches. And for style, like a, like a dress watch, I still think mechanical really beats it a lot, except you can have some very thin movements in quartz that are affordable, and the same, th you know, the same thickness in the mechanical movement, you're getting into sort of Piaget pricing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I, so for, for me... That's sort of the basic rule because I think the watches that are designed for utility and have features that you can't get in mechanical watches is a great place to start um, for quartz. Also, and you're pointing out this Luminox that you reviewed and, and there's a lot of watches. If you want like a beater watch, but you still want that look of an analog dial and you want like a light case, Luminox and many others produce uh -huh. very, very attractive watches that you can just beat them up. And that's mm -hmm. something that a lot of watch lovers today I find are missing out on is taking a watch on an adventure where you're literally subjecting the watch to danger. Whereas if you have like a Rolex, you're like, I'm not getting my Rolex anywhere near water or <laughs> dust or anywhere I could scratch. Hell no. And, you mm -hmm. know, I feel the same way. But if yeah. I'm wearing, you know, like you're looking at the, the Victorinox, the, 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 the Inox, which obviously now comes in mechanical, which is kind of ironic. But, it is ironic. <laughs> yeah, but but this this watch, the the Inox, and it's very different forms. Um, you know, when I, this came out, I loved it because it was it was beautiful looking. It had a cool case. It had this great durability story. And I, I you know, I I've gone I've gone you know diving. I've gone swimming in the ocean. I've gone hiking. I've done all types of stuff with my Inox watches. Never worried one bit. Um, and there's a certain sense of being able to take a quartz watch along for an adventure and not worrying about it, which I think is a wonderful experience yeah. that a lot of mechanical watchovers yeah. are, are not familiar with. Well, and again, I mean, that's that's precisely why I keep an aerospace in my yep. carry-on, because I know it's always going to be running, and I know if I get to where I'm going, and we're going on some crazy hike, or we're riding bikes, or we're doing whatever it is, like that's probably the watch I'm going to wear. And I do think I completely agree with you in that I feel like a quartz watch needs to add to the conversation. And there are some, I, I think it's a Seiko movement, it's a chronograph movement that has a sweeping seconds hand. It's a quartz movement when you engage the chronograph, the seconds hand, the counter sweeps instead of ticks. And to me, it feels like it's cool. It, it's cool that it does that. The behavior is different. But to me, I agree, it shouldn't mimic something that is already out there. It should add to the conversation. And if if, if a quartz watch is going to be more rugged or more durable or robust, I love it when manufacturers really lean into that. And that's kind of why the, the, the Victorinox is so fun and why Luminoxes are so fun to wear. It's just they, they just totally lean into the like, yeah, just beat the hell out of this. We don't, you know, we don't care. A G-Shock reactor. I mean, there's a number of brands that that own that space and do a really nice job of saying, like, this thing's designed to be beat to hell, but uh, it's gonna it's gonna be there on the other side. It's designed to look good while you do it. I think like as as enthusiasts. Um, anybody wants to be able to have something they're going to have for a super long time, and I think that to me is the whole point of all of this. And that, like, these are these are objects that we are meant to carry with us. And oftentimes, like, we go places and do things where, like, you probably shouldn't have an expensive object with you, but you could have an object that's designed to do the thing that you're going there to do. And 
I want to back you up here because what yeah. you're talking about is using and enjoying watches. We exist in a time where a lot of watch collecting is essentially an alternative to investing, where people think they're buying things that are going to increase in value or about showing off or are, are basically anything but wearing a watch and enjoying it. I'm saying that the pursuit of watch collecting for me is about taking watches on experiences. I really am not interested in just showing off. That is a very... Um, I just want to say superficial. That's really the term I want to mm -hmm. use. If your whole life is just about showing off to, to other people, that is based upon insecurity. And that's something that I, I think is an, an issue greater than what you collect. I'm interested in watches because of how they make me feel and where, what I can do with them. I like having adventures and bringing the right gear with it. I think there's a lot of guys like me, right? It's about having oh, an adventure and having yeah. the, right, and the right gear. And so yeah. quartz watches shouldn't replace mechanical watches in your collection. They should supplement it. And when yeah. you hear someone say, that's quartz, that's shit. Yeah, you know what? There are some poor quality quartz watches out there. There's tons of them. But you know what? There's probably more poor quality mechanical watches exactly. that I would never strap on my wrist. That's exactly right. Yeah, let's not forget. Let's not forget how many how many just bargain bin mechanical watches that work poorly, that you can't do anything with, that I don't know. I just, you know, at the end of the day, this is about you and what you wear should add to the conversation. It should add to your conversation. It should bring you enjoyment. You know, we've, we've talked about this before. We always feel sorry for the guys that show up to the meetups and they're wearing something that they're, they're hoping other people are going to be impressed by. And, and that is the wrong, it's the wrong approach. Um, Impress your wrist, not your friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Spending Time. Um, I think that we're going to have more conversations about high-end quartz, especially diving deeper into specific newer products. We, we brought up a lot of the legacy things, a couple of the newer things. But, but Zach, thank you for joining me in this discussion. I'm going to go out and wear a quartz watch today. That's what I know. Ariel, thanks for having me. This was fun. Bye, everyone. Take care.